please open your Bible to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 6. We've been working through the Gospel according to Luke expositionally. We began toward the end of chapter 2 because we'll go back to chapters 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 closer to Christmas time. That just seems right, doesn't it? Those, that's the only time of year you can preach out of those chapters. It's not allowed to do it any other time of the year. It seems that way anyway, doesn't it? But we'll, we'll go back there around Christmas time. We are in our 16th message already in Luke, about midway through chapter 6, and I've told you it'll be about two years to really work through all of these chapters expositionally. But we've come to Luke chapter 6 seeing this message that Jesus preached that has so much similarity to the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And I've shared with you that I believe that Luke is not sharing the same account of Matthew just from his own perspective as we find throughout the Gospels. I believe he's recording a different message preached at a different time in a different place to different people. Jesus regularly did that as he journeyed and as he preached. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God to different people at different places at different times. And so the message regularly had similar thoughts. And Luke records one of those times here in Luke 6. In studying this message, we've split it into three sections and given it the title, God's Kingdom Manifesto, because Jesus is sharing the implications of his rule in the lives of his followers. If Jesus is Lord, then that will show up in your life and mine. He speaks to us about, yes, being a believer, not a carnal believer, not one who is a believer only, but not a committed follower. He speaks about what it will look like if you are a committed follower of Jesus. When you are living for and building the kingdom, then these traits, these qualities, characteristics will be evident in your life. In verses 20 through 26, we introduced four sets of contrasts presented as blessings and woes. They present or represent the themes of dependence, desire, delight, and drive. We could say that these describe the attitude of those who live for and build the kingdom of God. If you're that person, that committed follower of Jesus Christ, you will have the attitudes he presents in verses 20 through 22. Poor in spirit, as Matthew says it. You'll, you'll be that one who it hungers and thirsts after righteousness, you'll be that one who weeps now, that 
holy dissatisfaction with things as they are. Seeing, if you will, the, the wrongness, the sin, the evil that infiltrates and infects everything, not just out there, but right in here too. You'll be that one who is driven with pleasing God above pleasing man. Those are the attitudes of the one who is living for and building God's kingdom. And now we come to the second section that we find in verses 27 through 38. So follow along as I read this section of the message. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners do also even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good. And lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. This is a revolutionary message from our Savior Jesus Christ. Notice how Jesus opens this section of the message. Look back to verse number 27. He says these words, But I say unto you which hear. The word translated here has a wide range of meanings. In the text, as is true in much of the New Testament uses of this word, it means much more than the ability of the body to receive and interpret audible noises. Did you know that the, the sense of hearing is a complex and amazing process? As your body receives signals and the, 
the resources within your body interpret and process those signals and your brain interprets it in a way that you can understand. It's an amazing process. And yet, when Jesus said, but I say unto you which hear, he is not delineating between those ability to hear and those who are deaf. That wasn't Jesus's point. To put it simply, to hear is the activity of listening attentively, intelligently, intently, and obediently. So to listen attentively. When Jesus said, but I say unto you which hear, I say to you who are listening attentively, he speaks to those who are focused on his words. If you're going to be a committed follower of Jesus, you must focus on his words. He speaks to those who are listening intelligently. That would be the idea of with, with understanding and wisdom. The Bible tells us that God gives us the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to, to lead us in the truth, to give us an understanding of spiritual things. But you and I have a, a decision to make in that. Do you seek and strive to understand? And then the idea of wisdom. What is wisdom? It could simply be stated as the application of knowledge. Taking what I know and doing something with it. Then he speaks to those who are listening intently. That, that gives the idea of with determination to heed i'm listening so that i can do something with what i hear i'm listening with an in, with a determination with the intention of taking what i'm receiving and doing something with it and then it also carries along with it the idea of listening obediently so with follow through I'm taking it in. I'm understanding it. I have a determination and the intention to do something with what I'm receiving. But now this is actually going to be acted on. I'm going to follow through with what I'm being told. It's the process James, the half-brother of Jesus, describes in James chapter 1, where we read these words, Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Well, what does it look like to be swift to hear, to listen attentively, intelligently, intently, and obediently? Here's how it looks. Wherefore... Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just be a listener in the sense of receiving 
believing, interpreting what you hear. But be one who listens attentively, intelligently, intently, obediently. That is a doer of the word. He goes on and he says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, just one who listens and it goes in, he is like a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You understand it's not enough to simply listen, to receive and interpret the word. But the committed follower of Jesus, the one who is living for and building his kingdom, must hear. And so Jesus says, but I say unto you, which hear? He's preaching to and for those who are disciples, committed followers of Jesus. And this form of hearing sets the committed follower of Jesus apart from the casual follower of Jesus. I've shared the story before, but it, it really puts it in perspective for us. The story of the hog and the hen who were discussing the upcoming church meal, the, the church ministry to feed the hungry. And the hen said, I've got it. I, I know what we need to do. I'll, I'll get him." and you'll get involved we'll provide to the church for the ministry of feeding the hungry some bacon and eggs the hog thought about what the hen said and looked at the hen and said there's one problem with your bacon and eggs solution for you it only requires a contribution but for me it means total commitment can I ask you this morning are you simply a contributing, a contributing follower of Jesus or a committed follower of Jesus? There is a difference. We could put it in, in any type of context. You think of it in relation to a church family, a church ministry. There are those who are simply contributors attend maybe give something once in a while and then there are those who are committed they're there they're involved in the service and ministry of of God's family his church in the way that they can be in the in the way that God enables them to be you could put it in the context of just your life day to day. Do you give Jesus a little bit now and then? Or are you committed living for and building his kingdom 
Jesus here is speaking to those who would not be casual followers, but those who would be committed followers of Jesus. And you need to answer the question for yourself, am I a casual or committed follower? The largest difference between those who are casual followers and those who are committed followers is the difference between those who only hear and those who really hear. To only hear is to listen, to receive and interpret. To really hear is to listen attentively, intelligently, intently, obediently. What kind of follower are you? Having seen the attitudes of those who live for and build God's kingdom in the first section of Jesus' message, let's see the actions of those who live for and build God's kingdom. Those who really hear, who are committed followers of Jesus, evidence these qualities, not simply attitudes, but actions. Number one, would you notice this? Those who live for and build God's kingdom, who are committed, not casual followers, who are really hearers and not only hearers love if you're going to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ living for and building the kingdom of God you will love genuinely the pastor and author John Phillips wrote the driving force behind our Lord's behavior in all places, at all times, under all circumstances, was love. Have you ever really thought about that? We know the truth, God is love. We sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But have you ever thought about the reality that everything Jesus did in every place with every person he did out of love? Everything that God does today in your life, in our world, he does out of love. God is Motivated, he is driven by love. Every moment in time, God is love and he loves. There's nothing you've experienced in your life where God did not interact with you in love. Love. He went on and said this, What was true of him should be true of us. That love was Jesus' way. He loved Judas as much as he loved John. Pilate as much as he loved Peter. And Annas as much as he loved Andrew. He loved the man who plowed his back with that terrible scourge. He died for the man who crowned him with thorns and prayed for those who nailed him to the tree. 
But you know what is even more amazing than that? Beyond that, he loves you and he loves me. Jesus knew opposition. Because he gives us a specific directive in love in this passage, doesn't he? He, he doesn't say love everyone, which you and I could easily misconstrue as, well, love those who, who I want to love. He doesn't just generalize it. He gives us a specific target, doesn't he? Love your enemy. Well, it's easy for Jesus to say that, right? But Jesus knew opposition. We've seen over the last several weeks how contextually Jesus began experiencing opposition with the, the events recorded in Luke chapter 5. Well, how did he respond to it? We, we can see some, some things he said. We, we can see some actions he took. But at the heart of it, how did Jesus respond even to opposition? Love. How does he tell us we should respond to it? How should we respond to the opposition that we experience in life in any form? It may be opposition because we follow Jesus. It might be opposition just because, let's be honest, sometimes people are irritable and irritating. I love listening to my children because they, they get their words a little mixed up because they just don't really know what the word is. So, so for example, they don't say, hey, dad, my brother is annoying me or my sister annoyed me. They say, annoyed. So for weeks, Michael has been asking prayer that his sister, because they sleep in the same room, would stop waking up through the night crying and he says this pray that Addie stays asleep because she ignores me sometimes people are annoying sometimes you are irritated by others sometimes they cut you off in traffic sometimes they budge you in line at the store I, I was at the store the other day at the self-checkout seems to be all you can find in a lot of stores nowadays but I was in line at the store and there, there was a line wrapping around this way and a lady came up from the other direction. She didn't even notice the line. And so she, she kind of just got in right there and a guy who apparently had been waiting a while who had already had other people did it, he finally said something to her, shook his head and stormed off the other way. That happens sometimes. And sometimes you and I respond that way to things, don't we? Jesus said, how, how should you respond through genuine love? And notice the target. He says, to those who are your enemies, love your enemy, he said. This word identifies those who hate you, who are actively hostile. I mean, they don't just say hate, they express it. They seem to go out of their way to bring hostility into their interactions with you. Who else is the target? He says in verse number 27, do good to them which hate you. Hey, not only enemies, but haters. These are those who detest you. Do you know of anyone who detests 
you who, I mean, they just can't stand you. They, they can't stand to be in the same room with you. Those who are haters. Who else? He says in verse number 28, bless them that curse you to the cursers. This word has the idea of those who disapprove of you, who demean you and denounce you. They, they, they want nothing good for you. You ever heard that statement? I know you have. I, I wouldn't wish that on a dog. You heard that statement, right? I mean, this is the person who says, I wouldn't wish it on a dog, but I wish it on you. And then, users. He says, pray for them which despitefully use you. The phrase despitefully use literally has the idea of those who insult and slander you. So Jesus says, if you're going to live for and build my kingdom, if you're not going to be just a casual follower, but you'll be a committed follower, if you're not going to be only a hearer, but really a hearer, you need to love genuinely. And I'm not just talking generally. I'm saying you need to love your enemies. You need to love the haters. You need to love the cursors. You need to love the users. Love them. Loving our enemies comes not from our emotions as our response to our feelings about them. Because the reality is when it comes to enemies and haters and cursors and users, our, our feelings are not real good about them. Right? You don't, you don't feel all fuzzy inside when that person's name is mentioned. You don't get ready for work in the morning you're going to go see that co-worker who just can't stand you and you've got a meeting together that day you, you don't go to your doctor's office and you just don't like that nurse who is always the one who comes in and gets you ready for your doctor's appointment you don't wake up those mornings with fuzzy feelings going ooh I'm so glad I get to see so and so today that doesn't happen if you are directed by your emotions and feelings, you will not be able to follow through on the words of Jesus. Loving our enemies comes from a choice we make that flows from our love for God. We, we've talked about loving God and loving others. And as we understand what it means to love God and love others, Truly loving God and loving others happens, takes place when we better understand and grow in the love of God. When we better understand God's love for us, God's love poured out on us and for us, as we better understand that we can love Him and love others better. Loving our enemies isn't going to naturally happen. It won't be what your feelings and emotions direct you to do. It is a choice you and I need to make that flows from that love we have for God. It's active. It's not passive. And it actively results in some things. What does Jesus say here? 
doing good, what can you give? What can you do for the benefit of your enemies? That person who, who's an enemy, who's a hater, who's a cursor, who's a user, that person that you know, they can't stand to be in the same room with you. They speak evil about you behind your back. They lie about you. They gossip about you. They speak bad to the boss about you. What does Jesus say to do? Do good. To bless them, it means to invoke or enact divine favor. It implies a positive disposition or kind actions toward the recipient. So how can you demonstrate and live out kindness toward those people? He says, pray for them. And it's not about impeccatory prayers. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? God, you know how this person has treated me. You know how they've acted. God, I love you so much, I pray fire from heaven down on them. It's the uh, James and John approach, isn't it? As Jesus was ministering and they were being slandered, they were being insulted, they were facing opposition, James and John said, Lord, Jesus, call down fire from heaven and consume them. And Jesus said, what am I going to do with you, you sons of thunder? No, that wasn't what it was about. When, when he says pray for them, how can you pray for God to do something good for and in your enemies? This goes against the grain of nature, doesn't it? To love Genuinely, Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 17 through 21. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly, yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger... Let him starve. Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. What is it to be overcome of evil? I believe contextually, as I compare Scripture with Scripture, to be overcome with evil is to answer evil with evil. But he says, don't do that. Overcome evil with good. Jesus himself exemplified this for us. Listen to how Peter described Jesus' example in his epistle. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, what's the natural tendency? When we're reviled, to revile, when we're threatened, to when we're punched, to punch back. Those are our natural tendencies. It's even among some. 
But the Bible teaches a different way. Jesus, through his example, the word of God through instruction tells us, commit yourself in that situation to God. He will deal with it in his time and in his way. But in the meanwhile, you respond to those who set themselves against you through loving genuinely. Do good. Bless. Pray for them. Jesus gives us a second quality of those who are committed followers. Not only love genuinely, but notice this. He tells us to lend generously. Verse number 30. What's he say? Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. He would use the word lend in verse number 34, and if ye lend to them. And so the Bible commands us to lend generously. This is what Jesus is doing. He's describing a generous disposition to give, especially without any thought of return or motivation of return represents the heart of God in his desire for those who live for and his and, and to live for and build his kingdom. This is something I learned early in my life from my dad. The church my dad pastored, there was right across the parking lot, the home of an elderly man. Literally, you drive in and here's the church and right here is this guy's house and the parking lot for the church. And one day he, I don't know if he called dad or something, but he, he asked that someone would help him by going out, getting his mail, and bringing it to him. And I was tasked with that job. So I went to his mailbox, I collected his mail, I went into his house, I was just a young boy at the time, I handed him his mail, and he looked at me and he said, you know, someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you back something big just because you went and picked my mail. Well, I walked out of there beaming. I mean, I'm pretty sure there was a light glowing around me as I floated out of his house. I was so excited for this promise of reward for the difficult job of getting his mail. And I went and told my dad. And my dad looked at me, and I don't remember exactly what he said. But it related to the spirit of giving and not getting. Acts records that Paul spoke these words in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Interestingly, none of the gospel writers record these words of Jesus, but it apparently was something he regularly preached as he journeyed around the regions. It was part of a message like the message in Luke chapter 6 that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We're taught by God's word to give generously, joyfully, and regularly. Giving generously includes giving our treasure, our time, and our talent. It means giving whatever we possess to the Lord and to others. 
It's if everything you have is committed to the Lord, if you view it as being owned and stewarded, it's owned by him, it's stewarded by you, you'll be able to give generously. There's a beautiful illustration of this in the Old Testament. King David had a desire in his heart to build God's temple But God told David, no, you'll not build the temple. Your son, Solomon, will build the temple. But David said, I'm still going to do what I can. So he began laying up for Solomon. He began setting out of his treasure as king. He led the nation of Israel in giving and setting aside so that when Solomon stepped into the, the kingship, he would already have a store of, of resources to build God's house. And here's what David said as he praised God for what they were able to do in First Chronicles 29, 13, and 14. He said, Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people? that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Do you know what David said? Everything that I've set aside for this great work, everything that Israel has set aside for this great work, we can't take any of the credit. All the glory goes to God because everything is his and what we've given for this work we're just giving god back what is his how dare we think or act as if how dare you ask me for that god that's mine no it's not God, do you really ask me to give 10% of what is mine to you? No, 100% of what you have is mine. I just ask you to give 10% back. I just ask you to lay aside 10% of what is mine aside for me. 90% I'm saying you can take and do with as you see fit. Well, how dare we when God asks us to give to him that we try to hold on to it as if it's ours. It's not yours, it's not mine, it's his. The committed follower of Jesus who really is a hearer recognizes that and gives generously, joyfully. Second Corinthians chapter 9, for God loveth a cheerful Giver and regularly. Not just the 10%. Friends, you understand, don't you? That that really, in New Testament context, the 10%, the tithe, is a base level. In truth, God desires more from us and of us. Pastor, are you telling me to write bigger checks to the church? No. If God tells you to, go ahead. I'm telling you when you're out and about and you see someone that has a need and God leads you because he's enabled you to meet that need, go out of your way to meet that need. But I won't be able to buy my Mountain Dew that day. 
I won't be able to buy my coffee that day. Okay. When you live for and build God's kingdom, you lend generously. And then number three, and we'll conclude, you love genuinely. There's a target in that, enemies, haters, cursors, users. You lend generously, giving back to God what already belongs to him, generously, joyfully, regularly. And then number three, you live graciously. Verse number 31 is the text of a philosophy that is well known even by people who don't really know the Bible or don't follow the Bible. Do to others as you would have them to you. That is a philosophy, if you will. It's a rule to live by, but not one that we live by naturally. It's not the way that we act in and of ourselves, in and of our human nature. Jesus described the natural tendency in verses 32 through 34 as he asked those questions. If you love them which love you, what thank have ye? That's the natural tendency. Love those who love you. By the way, love proportionally. You know what that means, don't you? You love others as they love you. You don't go above and beyond. You love those who love you in the same proportion that they love you. Verse 33 is the natural tendency. If you do good to them which do good to you. And again, if you do good to me, I'll do good to you. In like kind. You you give me... Uh, let's just be real simple. You give me a $25 birthday gift, and I'm going to give you a $25 birthday gift. I'm not saying that's wrong, friends. Don't misunderstand, but that is our tendency, isn't it? To be proportionate. He says in verse 34, If ye lend to them which ye hope to receive, that's the natural tendency. I'm going to lend to you knowing that you have the ability to lend to me. And it'll happen proportionally. Those are the natural tendencies. And though this may represent a fine quality of our humanness, it's a fine quality of being human to love those who love you. But God's not called us to find qualities of humanness, has he? He's called us to qualities of Christ-likeness. To, to be above and beyond what is okay, humanly speaking. What is commendable, humanly speaking. If you're going to live for and build God's kingdom, we've got to go above and beyond a commendable human. And what does it look like? Well, there's a clue in the text. Jesus asked these questions in verses 32 through 34 with these actions in mind. And he asked this question, what thank have ye? We don't really do we? What thank have ye? What's he, what's he talking about here? There's a sense that, that Matthew's gospel gives us a gives us a clue. He, he speaks of it in the sense of reward. You know, what, what is going to be 
your recompense if you live that way. If you love those who love you, you've already ha- you already have your reward, that love from that person. If you give to those who can give back, you already have your reward. If you if you do good to those who do good to you, you already have your reward. That that reciprocity with that person is the reward. But there is something beyond that. You might want to jot down a note for yourself because it'll help you in understanding the text. The word translated think in verse 32, verse 33, verse 34 comes from the Greek word charis. You've heard that word before, haven't you? How is the word charis regularly translated in the New Testament? Grace. Jesus is in essence saying, if you love those who love you, what kind of grace is that? Is is there really any grace in that? You remember what grace is, don't you? To give something that is undeserved. I could argue that if you love those who love you and you do it naturally, proportionally, you're giving what they've deserved. They love you that way, you love them that way. That's not grace. It's not grace to do good to those who do good to you. It's not grace to give to those who will or could give back. That's not grace. It is grace when you love those who don't love you. It is grace when you do good to those who not only don't do good to you, but they do bad to you. It is grace when you give to those who can't give back or you know won't give back. That's grace. And by the way, friends, that's exactly what God poured out on you when he sent Jesus for you. You say, but I love God. You didn't love God when he gave Jesus. And friends, I don't care how much you grow to love God, you'll never love God the way he loves you. You say, but I do good for God. You didn't do good for God when he gave Jesus. For you, and you will never do so much good for God that it, it equals the good He's done for you. You might give to God, but friends, you can't outgive Him. Never can, and you never will. Grace is what you do for someone, to someone that they don't deserve. And so what Jesus tells us here is to live graciously. Grace is what God extended to us in Jesus Christ. It's the basis of all of God's gifts, too, in interaction with man. And so what we could do is we could ask ourselves this question, do we receive and hold on to God's grace or receive and reflect God's grace to others? Are you living graciously? If you know Jesus Christ as your, even if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the reality is you're a recipient of the grace of God. Every man, natural, unsaved, and spiritual saved, receives grace from God. Everyone does. Everyone receives things from God that are undeserved. 
Do you receive those things and hold on to them or reflect them to others? We carry out gracious living through treating others as we want to be treated rather than as we are treated. We carry out gracious living through extending mercy to others. Look at verse 36 again. He says, be therefore merciful, right? Even as your father is merciful. You say, pastor, I don't know. I've been pretty merciful to some people. Have you ever been as merciful to someone as God has been to you? Be merciful as your father is merciful. Friends, I've got news for you. You could never be too merciful. You pour out any amount of mercy on someone and you'll still have not attained to the level of God's mercy. So you might say, I don't know, pastor, I've reached the limit. Aren't you glad God hasn't reached the limit with you? One said it this way, in the kingdom of Jesus, we have a pattern for the way we should give mercy to others. We should be merciful to others the way God has been merciful to us. That's a lot of mercy and would only require more mercy from us, not less. Well, you know, I've showed that person a lot of mercy today, this week, and, and I've reached the limit. So I've got, I've got to lessen it up a little bit. And then we carry out gracious living through not passing judgment on others, but rather forgiveness. That's why in verse number 37, and he says, Judge not, that ye be not judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. This is part of gracious living. Don't pass judgment on others. Rather, offer others forgiveness. I love the way that this Bible writer broke it down. He said, we break this command to judge not, but rather forgive. We break this command when we think the worst of others. We break this command when we only speak to others of their faults. We break this command when we judge an entire life only by its worst moments. We break this command when we judge the hidden motives of others. We break this command when we judge others without considering ourselves in the same circumstances. We break this command when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged. And so gracious living that he calls us to when we're living for and building his kingdom is about not judging others. Not condemning, but rather forgiving. If you're a committed follower of Jesus versus a casual follower, if you're that all-in commitment versus just contributing, if you're living for and building God's kingdom, if you are really a hearer, and not only a hearer, it will be lived out Reactions. Love genuinely. Do you realize we could make the case that every sin could be defined as a failure to love God and others well? Every sin could be defined that way. You've failed to love God 
or others well. When you're living for and building God's kingdom, you love genuinely. You lend generously. It's not a, I'm going to hold on to what's mine attitude. It's a, it is all God's. And as he enables me and as he leads me, I'm going to go above and beyond even the base level requirement to give. And it's about living graciously. Doing to others as I want them to do to me, not as they are doing being merciful, not judging, but rather forgiving. Those are the qualities of the one living for and building God's kingdom. Is that the evidence that your life is giving? That's what we need to work towards, strive for, ask God for strength for, ask God's spirit to lead us in. Love genuinely, lend generously, live graciously. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And for just a few moments, the message is for disciples to encourage continued faithfulness or to move to a place of faithfulness, living for and building God's kingdom. This isn't about the standard you need to attain to earn salvation because even as we strive to do these three things, we'll never do them perfectly. And that's what it would require to earn salvation through works. And so if you're here in this auditorium or you're watching by way of the internet and you, you think that that's what salvation's about, living this way, doing these things, no. Salvation is the recognition I can never do these things perfectly that's why God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to live and die for me. Because I need the sacrifice of another. If you'll believe on Jesus that he lived the life you can't, died the death you deserve, and rose again on the third day, you will be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. But for those of us who are believers in Christ, He's called us to live for and build God's kingdom, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's called us to live our lives for that purpose. And we can do it through loving genuinely, lending generously, living graciously. Has God spoken to your heart about those areas today? If he has, would you respond today?